the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When you are put to the test, when that challenge comes into your son or daughter's life, whereby you need to be a father for them, don't let that role be taken away from you. It's not the role of your wife to take that from you. It's your role to take it for yourself as a loving source of strength to call your children to accountability for God. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko with just a little bit of what you'll hear today on Reaching Your Heart. We'll continue with the message today entitled, My Father's Keeper. At Reaching Your Heart, we believe God answers prayer. Won't you let us pray with you? The phone number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE. Please stay with me for just a few seconds after the broadcast today. We have a very special offer we'd like to give you. Here now is Pastor Michael Oxentenko. It's a pattern that women who are taken advantage of in this way tend to cling to the person who hurt them. Did you hear me? A woman who's been taken advantage of in this way, it's very often a trend. They'll seek security in the relationship with the one who harmed them. The perpetrator becomes the security source for the victim. In the story, Amnon rejects Tamar and bolts the door to keep her out. 2 Samuel 13, 17, he called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now before that, she was his sister. But after the crime, she's just a woman he's trying to get rid of. She's lost that dynamic. Something has collapsed. Bolt the door is prophetic here as a tragic oracle and pronouncement for her. The man who opened the door of her heart now bolts the door against it. The man who invited her in now shuts her out and the door will never open again for her, for anyone else for the rest of her life. The door that Solomon talks about in the Song of Solomon becomes a garden locked and a fountain sealed. She leaves the house worse than a widow for the rest of her days. The beautiful palm tree with the promise of fruit has become a barren root ready to dry up and die. She covers her head with ashes to say that she is dead now. She tears her robe to say that she has been broken for good this time. She lays her hand upon her head because her glory is gone to never return. And she leaves in tears the man who bolted the door of her heart forever against herself and him and God it seems. You know, it's a classic tragedy of epic proportions, greater than Shakespeare and the Greek Euripides who wrote this, Sooner would I stand three times to face their battles, shield in hand, than bear one child. At this point, you would expect the father, that's King David, to enter the scene and defend his daughter against the justice of Amnon. Hey, you know what? If I had a daughter, someone messed with my daughter, are you listening to me? I'd be all over that boy's case. I don't care who he is. If my son started down a road like that, I'm all over his case. You know, God forgives, but listen, we don't lay the framework for our children's destruction by not drawing lines in their behalf. Now, there are children who have, 
And there are people here who have. God restores. God heals. God forgives. But we don't change the dynamic of what we need to be because that's true, do we? So we hold to that. And I believe in holding to every child that you have tightly. When his father's afraid to act, Absalom steps into the shoes of his father to defend his sister. After all, dad named him father of peace, right? So at this point, Absalom becomes his father's keeper. In modern psychology, we call Absalom the hero child. Absalom is the one who wants to fix the mess of his father's failure. I'll fix it. I'll stand in for dad. Dad can't stand up. I'll stand up. I'm the father figure. I'm the hero child. The one who takes responsibility when dad won't because dad is guilty and the same kind of sin is in him. You know, if you've messed up in your life and you really feel that you can't interact with your kids because you have, let me give you some sound advice here. Tell them you messed up. I took it to the foot of the cross. God forgave me. And I'm taking a stand with you and me this day for your good. You see, that's how you can have a boundary in spite of where you've been from and what you've gone through. God does not expect of you to be morally paralyzed in your relationships with your children because you have found yourself in a storm of your own making or of others. In the storyline, Absalom is the hero child who seeks to save his sister from his wicked brother. Thus, good and evil become a family. They become a family dynamic and brother must fight against brother to save the sister's reputation. The war comes within at this point. 2 Samuel 13, 20, And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? Now hold your peace, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar dwelt a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. Three characteristics of the hero child emerge in this verse. We don't want hero children in our families. We don't want children to have to function this way. So here are three characteristics of the hero child. Make sure it's not in yours. First, as the hero child, Absalom becomes the interventionist when he is too young to know how to really fix the problem. Unskilled at being a parent, he tries to fix the problems of his family without insight and maturity into the problems themselves. It's a role problem. It's not his place. He proves that a young man cannot be a skillful father in place of a father. Secondly, Absalom takes over the role of the father in his sister's life. His name means father of peace. He tells his sister to be at peace. He accepts the role of the hero child and commands his sister to be all right. There is a naivete in the role that he has taken here. A child does not need to intervene in behalf of the parent to settle an issue in the family. And I would appeal now to the mothers here in our congregation. When you see that happening, don't you side with your child. You side with your husband, whose role it is to stand up and be the leader in that situation of the family. Thirdly, Absalom asks his daughter to dismiss her anger as an unnecessary thing in the family dynamic. I mean, this betrays his dysfunctionalism. In the story, he trivializes its impact on her, hoping it will just go away. That's called denial. Denial. It's a form of relational dishonesty. He says, he is your brother. Do not take this to heart. Just get over it. Forget it. He provides an excuse when there is no excuse. And he shows he doesn't grasp the full depth of the problem with her. Finally, Absalom shapes his life around the needs of his sister instead of his own needs and his family's needs. While this appears to be noble, it will in fact bring his ruin. 
It is a heavy load for a young man to carry in life. Absalom cannot amend for the sins of his family. The Bible says, So Tamar dwelt a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. At this point, you would expect Father David to do something about it. There's a precedent to do something in the Bible with another Tamar. David knew that his ancestor Judah did that for his daughter-in-law, that he took her in, he protected her. That's what he should have done. Look at Genesis 38, 11. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till Shalah my son grows up, for he feared that he would die like his brother. So Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. I mean, so in the storyline here, we, we, we see protectiveness, but we don't see that with David. I mean, if your daughter has been through horrific wrong and you come to the aid of someone else, you're in the wrong position. You need to protect your daughter. Every little girl needs to know that in some way she's a princess on the lap of her father. Did you hear me? Every little girl needs to know that. They need to know that dad will roll up his sleeves. If David had done that, she might have surmounted the crime against her and had a future. But David didn't do that. He was angry, but he did not act to do the right thing. Anger is not noble when it does not act in behalf of the weak. Unlike David, Absalom does not dare express his anger. He lives with it. He bottles it up. He hides behind the facade of the hero child. And all the time, the anger works on him from the inside out. In the modern way of thinking, Absalom becomes the Incredible Hulk. The innocent boy, hit by gamma rays of hatred, becomes the angry man that explodes into violence and rage, justified by a condition that he himself doesn't understand. And like the Hulk in the comic book fiction so prevalent in our culture, Absalom smashes his brother into the dust as the story runs to its end. 2 Samuel 13.22 But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had forced his sister Tamar. Finally, the plot is set. And he invites Amnon and all of his brothers to a feast. He wants everyone to see what he's going to do to his evil brother Amnon. He wants the members of the family, the other brothers, to see. He wants them to see what he thinks his dad should have done. After all, his name is Absalom. He's his father's keeper. When his brother is drunk and his brothers are looking on, he commands his friends to strike Amnon dead. When the deed is done, Absalom flees from his father's house to another father. 2 Samuel 13, 37. But Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amichad, the king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son day after day. And this is another one of those amazing verses. He just mourns for his son. So Absalom fled, verse 38, and went to Geshur and was there three years. Verse 39, the spirit of the king longed to go forth to Absalom, for he was comforted about Amnon, seeing he was dead. In the story, Absalom flees from one father to a father figure of sorts, who's not his father. He, he seeks a role model in someone else's castle. As the hero child, he searches for another king to take the place of the king of Israel, his worthless dad, the king. At this point, Absalom's future depends wholly on his dad. I mean, Absalom was caught in a storm that David had made. The whole thing is like crazy off the charts. David should have inserted himself at some point. And what does his dad, King David, do this time? When he needs to act, David doesn't act at all. When he needs to reach out to his son, he doesn't bother. He stays at home and mourns for his son. He does not have the courage to go after and save. 
As David mourns the loss of two sons, Absalom rots in the house of someone else's castle who is not his father. Finally, someone else brings Absalom home to David. That's kind of sad in and of itself. By this time, Absalom has figured it all out on his own. He's been robbed of his childhood. He's been robbed of his sister too. He's been forced to play a role he wasn't fit to play the hero. And why should he try to be his father's keeper anymore? Hatred is a strange thing. It has to have a focus to fester in your life, and I hope it doesn't. Amnon is dead and his father is alive. Hatred has now become a part of his character. At this point, Absalom has learned to hate his father. The boy who had tried to be his father's keeper has made the decision to take his father's place now, to remove dad from the picture. By degree, Absalom plots to overcome both the king and his kingdom. Look at 2 Samuel 15 too. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. And it happened that when any man had a suit to come to the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And he would say, Your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, See, your claims are good and right, but no man listens to you on the part of the king. Now, that's a subtle way of saying the king doesn't listen to you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that one would appoint me judge in the land. And every man who has any suit or cause could come to me, and I would give him justice. That's another way of saying my father the king is not just. So he's bleeding with resentment here. And it happened that when a man came near to prostrate himself before him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. And in this manner, Absalom dealt with all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole away the hearts of the men of Israel. When the time was right... Absalom struck hard. He planned the coup and it was successfully executed. He drove his father from his throne, from his city. He took the capital of his kingdom. He took his father's wives and defiled them in the open sun. And the son who was his father's keeper in the end tried to take his father's life. It all came to a head in a battle with no winners really. A son against his father. A father against his son. It was the game and fight for survival. The battle has been fought again and again by fathers and sons in every age. A father who had never shown the will to fight for his son was now fighting for his life against his son. David's heart was not in the fight that day. He gave strict instructions to spare the life of his son. But his general Joab disobeyed him deliberately. When the tide of the battle turned, Absalom fled from the battle on a mule and he was caught by his hair in a tree. It's a famous picture. We've seen artwork describing it. We've read about it in our children's stories. Hanging by his hair, they found him alive. Second Samuel 18, 14. Then General Joab said, I will not waste time here with you. So he took three spears in his hand. He thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men who carried Joab's armor gathered around and struck Absalom and killed him. Then Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing Israel, for Joab restrained the people. And they took Absalom, they cast him into a pit in the forest, and erected over him a very great heap of stones, and all Israel fled, each to his tent. What a day for a family conflict. It all ends this way. When the news reached David that his son Absalom had died, he was decimated. 2 Samuel 18.33, And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. 
And thus he said as he walked, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would that I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. And we get a little picture of God's love for his children in this prayer, in this statement, this mournful cry of David. But in the end, the man who would not live for his son by involving himself in his son's troubles, his son's challenges, his son's opportunities, because that's what troubles and challenges are. They're opportunities to develop character. The man who would not live for his son by being a father wished he had died instead of his son. You are listening to Reaching Your Heart. We'll continue with Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message in just a moment. But first, do you want to understand the Bible better? Do you have difficult questions? Have you ever wondered if God is so good, why do we live in such a bad world? What does the future hold? We know that you'll find answers in these new in-depth, full-color Bible study guides available for you with a donation of any size supporting this ministry. The phone number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE. Call now. Now more with Pastor Michael Oxentenko. The tragedy of the story ends with a monument to a man who failed at being a son and who failed at being a father too. You see, that's the part of the story you don't realize. Absalom failed at being his father's keeper. And because he could not fill that role, he failed at being a son to his, I mean, a father to his own children. He failed in that role too. Absalom had children. And he, like his father, passed a name with regrets on to the next generation. Look at 2 Samuel 14, 27. There were born to Absalom three sons. And one daughter, whose name was Tamar, she was a beautiful woman. He named his daughter Tamar, who would remember for the rest of her days that she was named after a sister who could never be a mother. She was named after a sister who had been defiled. She was named after a woman who had been decimated, who had lived in her father's house. He named his daughter after her. The story ends with a man who was his father's keeper, but not his father's son. The man who tried to be his father's keeper never became a father in the right kind of way to his daughter or his sons. The son who never felt like a son, that's Absalom, never succeeded at being a father in a functional kind of way. The son who tried to fix the problems of his dad's mistakes ended up destroying his own ability to be a dad. We don't know what happened to Absalom's sons. We just don't know. We don't even know what their names are because they're not recorded there, are they? But we do know this, that he lost them somehow. They never made it. His father most likely failed them just like his father failed him. And in the end, Absalom, the father of peace, had no sons who made it to manhood to take his place. This passage in 2 Samuel 18, 18 is very instructive. Let's look at it again. It was read here as our opening scripture. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a pillar which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to preserve my name. He had had three sons. Perhaps he never came to see them as sons because he never felt that he was a son. Perhaps he had passed on the same dysfunctionalism his father had passed into his life. He had expected them to be grown up too early. He had expected them maybe to act as fathers instead of boys. To never learn the joy of playing with dad, going fishing, just being, just being the son of a good father. I have no son to preserve my name. So he named the pillar after his own name. 
And it's called Absalom's Monument to this day. I challenge the fathers of the church. This sermon is for you. Fathers at different periods of your children's lives. If you're starting out, you have young children. Let me give you some solid advice here. You can take notes. Take them fishing. I don't care. If you don't know how to fish, go learn how to fish. Your kids will love it. You know, the thing, what's wrong with ball fields is that other people interact with your children. You can interact with your kids when you're one-on-one better by doing something like that. Find some activity that you can wrap around their growing up years and they can be with you. They can learn that you can let your hair down. They can learn that you prioritize them and your time off over somebody else. When my children were growing up here at Reaching Hearts, I've shared this with you before. Early in my son John Michael's experience, he turned to me and said, Dad, I hate you. I just had a severe back injury, recovering from full paralysis in my right leg. I had foot drop for a year and a half, and I was in torment, really, from that injury in the middle of my back. And he said, Dad, I hate you because you don't ever go fishing with me. You talk about going fishing, but you don't go fishing with me. And he was saying, I want to be your son. I want to enjoy what what it means to be your son. And so I promised him from that point on, we would go fishing and camping. I kept that promise. Four times a year, one week, four weeks, we left reaching hearts. We left our duties behind. We went and we fished. We camped. We did things I'm not going to talk about because some of them are funny and strange too, but we did them. And we did them for years. And so I would challenge you to do that with your small children. Don't let those years be taken from you. I'd also say this, that when you are put to the test, when that challenge comes into your son or daughter's life, whereby you need to be a father for them, don't let that role be taken away from you. It's not the role of your wife to take that from you. It's your role to take it for yourself as a loving source of strength to call your children to accountability for God. And finally, I would say this, maybe your children are older and now grown. My children now are 21 and 18. You know what that means? I no longer have children. I have adults. And your your role doesn't stop when they're young. You need to be praying for them. You know, if you got nothing better to do with your day, use your cell phone and call them once or twice a day or at least maybe once or every two or three days. But call them often. Pray for your son. Pray for your daughter. Let them know in their adult life that your prayers follow them to the end of their life. My mother, as I would leave for school in the morning, would pray for me all the way down the door, all the way out down the street to the school, and I could hear her prayers up the hill. I've never forgotten that. Pray for your kids. And if you're an imperfect parent, most parents are. If you've messed up, most parents have. You know, if you do that, if your kids know you love them enough to really pray for them, they're going to know you love them. And a child gone wrong can turn their heart back to God and back to home if there's a prayer coming from the home for them. So we're not done till we're done. And not till you're in the grave or Jesus comes and your children have taken your place in life in the right kind of way is your job done. So be what David was not. A source of strength, a source of commitment, for your children all the days of their life. Dear Father God, we lift up the Mammon family to you today. They have suffered a great loss, Lord, with the death of Molly. And Father, that family 
has been good to her. They've done it right. And I pray there will be no guilt. I pray there will be no conflicts based on such a thing. But they'll hold each other tight, find the hand of God, and be led to heaven's homeland together to be reunited. Lord, we're grateful for the Lord Jesus who knows how to forgive every sin, who knows how to change a generation after it was done wrong and to make it right the next time and how to take that generation that didn't get it all right and to bring them along and to make them stand on noble ground to finish life right. Father, truly you are redeeming God. You don't leave us to the ashes of our mistakes. Thank you for Jesus. And Lord, I lift up at this time this entire church family. We're a family here, Lord. May it always be a place where hurting people who have messed up can come home. And where hurting people who have stayed home can get fixed. And where love and tolerance and patience is the rule, but where no dysfunctional attitude rules out the right kind of action that helps our children grow. And Lord, long after we're gone, if Jesus doesn't come, we want them and others here sowing the seed for another generation of grass that will grow tall, with tall trees that stand for God. Lord, thank you for hearing this prayer. Bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen. And that will conclude Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message today entitled, My Father's Keeper. We pray this broadcast has ministered to you today. When you support this ministry with a donation of any size, we'll send you the book, Soul Care, Becoming Whole in a Broken World. 888-244-HOPE. Soul Care is a small 64-page volume filled with practical information on how you can grow as a Christian and even thrive in the tough times ahead. Call now for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-HOPE. Please stop by the website reachingyourheart.com to listen to this message again. That's reachingyourheart.com. We hope you'll join us again next time here on Reaching Your Heart. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.